You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. We're starting a three-week series uh, that uh, talking about uh, love like Jesus. If you have a Bible or an electronic device, whatever is uh, your form of uh, scripture, I'm going to read a passage, actually kind of start us off here in John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, and it's actually on your screen as well. Uh, on the front screen up here so we can read it uh, together. Ready? A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice here that that Jesus didn't say, um, he didn't say if you, you know, that people will know you're my disciples if you go to church on Sundays. He didn't say, people know you are my disciples if you pray every day. He didn't say, people will know you are my disciples if you share a spiritual post on Facebook or Twitter. (laughs) That's That's not the criteria. Jesus said, people will know you're my disciples if you love and love one another. Love one another. Interesting there, he's talking to Christ followers. So Christ followers, loving, showing love to other Christ followers. So that dynamic among the insiders, if you will, of the group is what will be attractive and potentially life-changing for those who are on the outside looking in. So it's important to realize, I think, that the love we have for one another is not something we need to conjure up. It's not this mind over matter kind of thing, and it's not based on emotions, Sometimes when we talk about love, we have this, especially within the uh, movies and stuff, we have this love is only used in this really emotional kind of, uh, uh, well, you know what I mean. So, so it's used that way. That's not what the Bible's talking about here. And that's not what we're looking at. Our ability to show love should be a reflection of the life and work of Jesus. It's a reflection of what God is doing in us and through us, a reflection of Jesus through which this love comes. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Jesus came, one of the reasons why he came is to reveal the love of God. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice this is while we were still sinners. There's nothing good. There is nothing deserving about us. Think about that for a moment. Consider this. Think about the most evil, vile, wicked group you can think of. Would you give your life for them, knowing that most would never change? That's a tough one. And yet that's what God, as he looked at us, while we're still in this, Jesus came to die for us. While we're still in our sin. The coming of Jesus revealed the love of God. The coming of Jesus also, re- uh, um, Jesus also came to display the love of God. So he came to reveal the love of God. He also came to display the love of God. Luke twenty three thirty four says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he divided up his clothes by casting lots. Who is the them in that, in that verse? Forgive them. Okay, all of us. 
I've often wondered, wait, don't go. I've often wondered what that looked like. Because clearly, I mean, you think about who was there. And, and again, we, we have taken it and applied it to ourselves, you know, 2,000 years later. You've got to wonder, those who are standing around the cross and heard, what, how did they understand this? Clearly, you, you have the Roman soldiers who literally just carried out the act of crucifixion. crucifixion. You've got the Roman, I'm sorry, you've got the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, others who were actually one who created the legal proceedings to get them there. You've got some of the crowd who were jeering, making fun of him. So what's really striking to me is I think in this moment, because in the verse it kind of gives you the sense that, you know, because right after they said they divide up his clothes, which we know the Roman soldiers did that, the immediate context of the verse is that he's talking about the Roman soldiers. But I wonder if in that moment he did kind of look up and he just surveyed all that was going on. And even, to some of you already have understood, looking ahead to the future. Right, God, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And that's the other thing that interests me is that they do not know. I mean, think about it. the Roman soldiers. Knew, I mean, they've done this. I mean, these executioners, they were very skilled. They've been doing this for years. They knew what they were doing. The Jewish leaders who were accusing Jesus, they knew exactly what they were doing. Everyone knew what they were doing in the act of what they were doing it. So what is Jesus saying here? When he says, you know, they don't know what they're doing, I think what Jesus is saying is that, he's like, Father, they don't understand they think they're doing what is right. They just don't get it. They don't understand that he was the son of God, that his death was there for them, that this was all part of God's plan. And they think they know, but they don't know. How many times are we guilty of that ourselves? We think we know, but we come to find out where yeah, we really didn't. The part of this verse that really does get me, though, is... The, is uh, are doing. <clears throat> it's present tense. Have you ever found yourself hurt by what someone says or did to you, and you know you need to forgive them, and you've either thought or maybe even verbalized it, I'm not ready to forgive them yet? Think about that. And depending upon the depth and the extent of that pain is sometimes the length of time before we are ready to forgive someone. I'm not even going to get into that, but what strikes me here is, forgive me for they, what they are doing right now. Wow, what an amazing thing, what an amazing display of the love of God to be able to do that for us. And then also, Jesus came, um, he came to reveal the love of God, to display the love of God, and Jesus came to empower us to love others. Ephesians 5 says, for God's uh, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's with this understanding then of God's love for us, what he's done, that we are entering to the series of love like Jesus. Jesus did some really unusual things to demonstrate this love. Um, we're going to look at one of those here just a little bit longer uh, here this morning, these next few minutes. And this is found in John chapter 13, 
verses 1 through 17. For many of you, you'll recognize this passage. And I'll I'll read it out loud for us. It's a little longer for us to read it as a group. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Father, as we've uh, looked into your word and we've come across this uh, story, Lord, this scenario here with Jesus and his disciples shortly before um, he was crucified and returned to heaven. Uh, Father, as we dig a little deeper, I pray that you would help us to understand its truth. Father, that we would have a, a better understanding of the depth and the breadth of the love that you have for us and how we in turn have then been empowered to love others. So, Lord, again, just thank you for your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So while love can be emotional, it isn't based on emotion. While we can express love with our words, it requires more than words, doesn't it? Love is revealed in our attitudes and our actions toward one another. And in this story, Jesus is very clear as an example of what? looks uh, what love looks like so let's break this down a little bit as sort of what does love look like in this situation from the actions of jesus one of the things we can say is that love moves beyond titles and positions any of you ever been part of a foot washing few of you now were you the were you uh, how many of you have been the recipients of a foot washing someone wash your feet okay and how many of you have washed someone else's feet Okay, most of you are the same one. So I'll just speak for myself. It's kind of weird, okay, just being honest with you, because we have no context for that. 
You know, it's not part of our culture. It's just an unusual thing. And we're doing it because of what we read Jesus did 2,000 years ago. But here's the thing. Back then, it made sense. I mean, the fact that Jesus did it was a huge statement. But just the act of foot washing, there was something, uh, I don't want to say sensical, not that we're nonsensical, but it was just made, it was, it was a bitter context. Let me say it that way. The idea of washing your feet is mentioned 10 times in the Old Testament. Most of the time, it's, it's part of the act of ritual purity for the um, priests. When they're going into the temple or going into the synagogue, prior to entering the Holy of Holies, they had to wash their hands and their feet. The idea here is that body or physical cleanness was representative of spiritual cleanness. And so you had to do both of those. But it also was an act of hospitality. I mean, we know that you know, back then they, people walked mostly from place to place. The roads were dirt. They wore sandals. They had dirty feet was how it is. So, you know, people come to visit, you know, you know, typically, you know, come people come to our today and says, hey, you want to freshen up? You know, there's, you know, the restroom's there. You know, back then it's say, hey, you want to wash your feet? You know, and uh, that was the service that was offered at that time. So to wash someone else's feet was the lowest of lowly tasks. In fact, Jewish slaves we're not even allowed to wash someone's feet. Only Gentile slaves could wash someone else's feet. So it was, it was a pretty low thing. Um, the person who was doing the washing was always in the subservient position socially. They were much lower in the social hierarchy than the one whose feet were being washed. To have your feet washed usually meant one of two things. Either you were at the home of a very wealthy person and they could afford slaves and servants to wash your feet for you, or you yourself were a very important person and so people were washing your feet. We see this in the New Testament where, um, um, I just lost her name, broke up the perfume and it was washing Jesus' shoes. Basic, yeah, Mary, thank you. You'd think I'd remember that, right? Like, jeez. Um, that, that, that was what was going on here. It was that type of thing. It was Jesus who she was anointing his feet. So he was, in that regard, very special. Jesus turns this system on its head completely. Just turns it all upside down. And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. So if anyone had the right to maintain position and title, it was Jesus. And yet his focus was not on title or position, but on rather on serving one another. In Matthew 20, he says, you know that the rulers and the Gentiles lorded over them and their higher officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Love moves beyond titles and positions. Secondly, love has a bias to action. John 13, verses 4 and 5. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. (coughs) 
I've uh, all my kids were as my kids were growing up. I've I always told them, you know, if if they didn't do something because of just schedule whatever, I said never tell anyone that you didn't do something because you were busy. Never use that as an excuse. Everyone's busy. They are, and basically what you're telling them is what you wanted me to do wasn't important enough for me to rearrange my schedule to get that done. Now, it may not be verbally expressed, but that's implicitly, that's, what, that's what's being said underneath it. So never say you didn't get something done because you were busy. It won't go over well. It's interesting, actually, uh, as I was working on this particular point, actually, just out of curiosity, I did a Google search for show me you love me. I discovered that there's a couple songs out there that uh, were really popular, and so there was hundreds of links to those songs. But I, I scrolled down a little bit, and I came to a site from Pinterest. Um, I don't know if any of you are, are Pinterest uh, uh, fans, but uh, there's this one page that was the most... I've never seen anything like it. What it was was just a bunch of little uh, quotes and symbols from men and women who had been hurt in relationships. And it was their kind of statement. Some, for some of them, I think it was just a very cathartic, healing statement. But some of them were, were actually statements to the person that hurt them, just letting them know. There was no names attached. It was just kind of their thing. One of them said, so this is, just remember that when you're ignoring someone, you're actually teaching them how to live without you. Like, Wow. <laughs> I actually, well, this morning we're getting ready. I went to Betsy. Are we okay? You know, just to, just just to make sure. You know, it's like uh, I don't think because I I know sometimes we do that. You get you, somebody you surround them. You just take them for granted, and you just and so another one they they said was no matter how busy you are, if you really care, you will always find the time. The one I really liked, though, was this. It said, some talk to you in their free time, and some free their time to talk with you. I just thought that was, that was really good. Love has a bias to action. And we shouldn't take for granted those who are closest to us. Three, love is a willingness to serve your greatest enemy. In verse 11 of the passage we read, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. <clears throat> Up at the top of the, um, the passage we read, speaking of, and the passage in reference to Judas, um, and Jesus uh, was washing his feet, and, Ju- and Judas is who he's referring to. Up at the top of this passage, there was a, a part of the verse that says, the devil had already pr- prompted Judas to betray Jesus. How are we to understand this? I mean, th- this is one I, I just think has always intrigued me, and I think a clue can be found in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus is talking to his disciples about his, that he's going to have to die and leave them, and Peter says, no way, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Peter did not just morph into Satan. It wasn't one of these uh, type of things where he all of a sudden became that. So it wasn't the literal 
type of understanding. Jesus was speaking of Peter, referring to Peter as Satan, as a metaphor. And basically, he was saying anything that is contrary to what God intends is anti-God. In this case, demonic. Essentially, what he was saying to Peter is that you're tempting me to do something contrary to what God has asked me to do. So how does this apply to Judas? Well, first, I don't think that when it says that Satan had done this, I don't think that somehow that he'd taken over Judas's body and now he was just kind of out of, you know, you know, just Judas was in full control of his own faculties. There's a theory out there that for me, because I don't want like Judas. I mean, he walked and lived with Jesus for years, two or three years. He saw all this. How does somebody experience that kind of encounter and then do what he did? Here's, here's, where I, here's where I've settled on that. Is Remember in that day that the idea of the Jewish Messiah was a political Messiah. It wasn't spiritual. They literally were going to come and overthrow the Roman government and raise Israel back to its prominence. I mean, it was a political, military, it was a full deal type of Messiah. Jesus, Judas was with Jesus for those, that time, for three years. He saw it. And he may have even believed that he was the son of God. And he had this concept of what this Messiah was supposed to look like. And here's where I think it's interesting. I think Judas got impatient. I think he was like, you know what? Let's get this moving along. And I think what the theory is, is that he wanted to force Jesus' hand. If, if he was thinking that if Jesus was arrested and all of a sudden faced with that, if he was going to be killed, that he would then, all right, it's now time and I'm going to reveal who I am and... He's going to be the Messiah. And then Judas, obviously, because he's one of the 12, he's going to be right there. The prompting was not one of hatred or anger towards Jesus. It was one of pride and greed and selfishness. Judas wanted that, saw that Jesus was his meal ticket, if you will, got impatient with this idea of Jesus being a spiritual Messiah who was going to die and leave, and said, that can't, we, we've, got to, we've got to force him into a corner so that he'll actually do what I think he's supposed to do. That is what was demonic, because that's not what God had in mind. And it was that idea that kept, that he attempted to keep God from doing what, or kept, he attempted to keep Jesus from doing what the Father wanted him to do. And we all know that wasn't the case at all. But the prompting from Satan for Peter, I'm sorry, for Judas was based on greed and a lust for power. It's easy to love those who love you and to serve those who serve you, but the real test of your love is when you are willing to serve those who actually work against you. Knowing all this, Jesus still washed Judas's feet. It wasn't until after this that Judas left. So his feet got washed by Jesus. Boy, was that awkward or what? I mean, think about that, because Judas, we already know from just in the verse that he'd already made the decision to do this, and now Jesus is going to wash his feet. Man, that would have been a really awkward moment. But again, it goes back to Jesus' ability to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He was able to wash Judas's feet, knowing what he was actually going to do at the time. Love is willingness to serve your greatest enemy. <clears throat> And lastly, love puts others ahead of your own agenda. John 13, in verse 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. In verse 24, 
Um, actually, Luke chapter 22, verse 24, uh, the, the disciples were talking about who's going to be the greatest. You know, they were arguing about who, who among them is going to be the greatest of the 12. And uh, Jesus is saying in this example, in his message, that you put others in front of you. It's not about you being great. It's about you lifting up others and serving others. Um, I came across a story this week. Uh, someone shared it with me of a high school student whose uh, name was uh, Tanner and is from Arkansas. And so uh, Tanner's the one standing and uh, his, his friend there is um, Brandon. And so for their senior year, Tanner thought it'd be really cool to buy Brandon a motorized wheelchair. And so that's what he did. So he bought him a wheelchair, which in and of itself is pretty cool. Tanner got this idea his sophomore year. He got an outside job and took him two years to raise the money to pay for the wheelchair. So he was asked afterwards, said, why did you do this? Why did you work this job for two years for um, Brandon? And his response was, I thought it was pretty cool. He said, I just feel like life's too short. And you should think of others more than just yourself. I just thought, here we've got an 18-year-old who so clearly shows us what the love of Jesus looks like. It's not this grand thing. It's usually very simple. It's quite often inconvenient. It's not always easy and hard. And sometimes there's very little of any recognition. And yet, that's what Jesus calls us to. You and I, every day we wake up, God, use me today. It's not to be great. It's not to have your name in the media or be popular or to have all this wealth and power. Jesus calls us to a life of servanthood, to serve our, uh, one another, to give our lives for others. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As we've learned the, these past few weeks that we don't have to go out and find opportunities for God to use us. We don't have to find them. They usually find us. They're usually presented to us. We just need to pay attention. And if we're paying attention, the Holy Spirit will prompt us to action. It's usually that voice in the back of your head that says, do this, say this, go there, or don't do something. It's usually what the Holy Spirit does for us. Before that can happen, though, I have to be honest. You have to surrender your life to Jesus. There has to be that surrender. If you want that kind of an engagement and activity and relationship with Jesus Christ, you first have to surrender to him. If you've never done that before, you can do it today. And for some, maybe this is your day. For others, maybe it's an opportunity to re-surrender your life to Jesus, a recommitment to his purposes, and you can do that this morning as well. Let's pray. Father, again, just very grateful for your activity in our life. I'm so glad, Lord, you don't leave us where you find us. You don't ever stop working on us. Although I can only imagine how frustrating we make that for you. But Lord, your love is patient and kind 
and uh, gentle. And that's what you call us to as well, to love and to serve one another. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be aware of those situations around us. Uh, Lord, that if there's something or someone whom you'd like us to touch and connect, that you would bring that to our attention. Lord, that we would have the courage and the boldness and the means to do something about it. Father, if there's any here this morning who have yet to surrender their life to you, may they do that now, just in a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Father, if there's any who might need to recommit themselves to that, may they also be able to do that. I just verbalize that to you in a simple prayer. So, Father, may we be the people, Grace Covenant Statesville, may we be a people who love you, who are known by the community around us as people who love one another. May we be that kind of group that just people just can't wait to be a part of and be a part of what you're doing here. So, Father, this week as we go forth, I pray, Lord, for your blessing and favor on each one. Father, that... uh, you would guide them, direct them. Lord, those opportunities, may they be aware of them that you would bring. And Lord, that they would then take action if action is needed. So Father, we commit ourselves to all these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.